pray together. Almighty God, we're grateful that you are our shepherd, that, Lord, even this morning as we hear your word, that they can be seeds in our heart, and, Lord, in our heart that they may bear fruit in our lives. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have ever traveled through any airport, or walked down any aisle, or of any bookstore, or frankly, if you've ever, ever been assaulted by advertisements for trainings on Facebook, you will know that our entire culture, our world, and really evangelical culture in particular, I think, has an obsession with leadership. It would not be hard, I think, to create an app that auto-produces leadership titles. You know, you can start with a number and then work in a concrete uh, word like step or principles or habits, and then maybe a goal word like successful or flourishing, productive, and then I think you'd have a winner. Something like 12 principles for successful leadership or winning at life with eight helpful habits. Now imagine somebody with unpossibly white teeth smiling at you on the cover and you've, you've got it. But why? Like, why this obsession with leadership? Why this strange fixation on a quantifiable techniques? Well, for one, I think we're obsessed with leadership because even if somebody could never describe what makes a good leader, they sure as heck know that leadership's important because they know the impact that leadership makes. Every last one of us has a horror story, a horror story about failed leadership, about a toxic boss, about a failed coach. And we all know firsthand that bad leadership creates toxic environments. Good leadership creates space for people to grow and thrive. Bad leadership stifles and suffocates. Good leadership makes good things happen. And so my theory is that knowing how important it is, we're all looking for a formula, a technique that can be universally applied for people and leaders. Eight steps, 12 principles, three keys. And look, there's, there's a lot of useful advice in those books. I've read a lot of them. But there are no shortcuts to good leadership. Because at the end of the day, leadership is about virtue. Leadership's about character. And all the greatest techniques in the world can't shortcut the difficult process required to grow in virtue, to grow in character. Bishop Steve is a fan of the book called Virtuous Leadership, and I highly recommend it. And organization like Steve Machia's uh, Leadership Transformations um, is a really great ministry that does good work uh, and doesn't try to have shortcuts. But leadership, leadership is also core to the story of Israel. The story of Israel is one of learning who and how to follow. Who is this God that called them out of Egypt, out of slavery, the great I am? Who is this and how? How do they follow the Lord? How do they become wed to him? But the question of leadership, of who shepherds Israel, was fraught with difficulties. After Moses and Joshua in particular. After the unwieldy rule of judges, when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, then they had their first king, which God gives them grudgingly, a king that they liked and desired more for his stature and his jawline than for his heart and abilities. And of course, David follows. And David, David is a good shepherd, uh, one who his heir would one day be the messianic king. 
And he was a good shepherd because he knew how to tend sheep. But unfortunately, the drama spirals out of control and the kings and leaders of Israel lose sight of what it means to be a people belonging to the Lord, belonging to covenantal love. And so the shepherds became unfaithful, abusive. Well, Ezekiel knows full well the true meaning of bad leadership, of bad shepherds, which lead Israel astray from who they are and devour the people. A reading from Ezekiel 34 today comes at a hinge moment in the prophet's book. See, the first 34 chapters are pronouncing judgment on Israel, that God has even left his temple in Jerusalem. But, but here in chapter 34, God pronounces judgment on the shepherds of Israel, the people who led them. And let's listen again to this. This is chapter 34, 2 and following. Son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. With force and harshness you have ruled them. And, and this really is at the heart of Israel's problems, at the heart of Israel's struggles. Ever since the desert, ever since they left Egypt, really, they do not have a perfect shepherd. And even when they have a good shepherd, they do not have the good shepherd. They don't listen to his voice. But the hope that is promised so starkly and with so much vigor in chapter 34 is that God will do something about it once and for all. And this is what it says. It says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and strong I will destroy, and I will feed them in justice. Now, when the Lord says, I myself will be the shepherd, the words from the Greek version of the Old Testament, which was the one that was most widely used in Jesus' day and was most directly quoted by New Testament authors, are identical to the words that Moses heard from the burning bush. I am. I am will be your shepherd. I am will feed you. I am will seek the lost and strengthen the weak. I am will be with you. And those words, those words were packed, those I am words were packed like dynamite into the Jewish imagination. Well, of course, uh, when we find ourselves in John's gospel, lots happened. Israel has come back from exile, but actually nothing has changed. The people are back in Jerusalem, but the leaders of Israel are still bad shepherds. They lay burdens on the people. They extract honor from them, but they do not care for the poor. 
We do not lift anything from the burdened people, as Jesus says. But you see, in the person of Jesus, things are different, truly different. Because Jesus is not just another prophet or another king. He is both the one that is coming, the promised Messiah coming the line of David, and he is so much more than that. In our gospel text this morning, he lights the fuse on that dynamite when he says, I am the door to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And of course, that, the image is beautiful. We picture a fenced-off area, safety, right? Green for grazing. And the gate through which the sheep can come in and find rest. And sheep don't really jump all that high. There is no way to come in except through the door for a sheep. But thieves and wolves can jump in. Hired hands then run away. But there is one. There is one who belongs to the sheep, even as they belong to him. And he does not sneak in at night. He does not flee when the wolves come. He is the good shepherd. And unlike all the shepherds that came before him, he lays his life down for the sheep. He does not extract from them. He gives himself to them in love. And the sheep know his voice because he is the one who is with them all the time. You don't know the voice of a stranger. You know the voice of a father, your wife, your husband, a friend. And the great I am has always wanted his people to know him and be known by him. For his people to know his voice, to follow it through the storm, through the wilderness. And in this Jesus, I am is the rod and the staff which comfort the sheep once and for all. And it's no wonder why Jesus was so unpopular. Jesus is hunted and killed. He is the one who pronounces judgment on all the bad shepherds of Israel, even the Pharisees who he's speaking to in this text. And he has come to take from them, to demand back from them his sheep, just as we saw in Ezekiel 34. He is the one who picks his life up again only after laying it down for the sheep. You see, the good shepherd finds them places to be fed. The good shepherd shelters them in the storm and finds them when they are lost and binds them up. When they are wounded, he comforts them and fends off the wolves when they circle around the pen. The word pastor is just Latin for shepherd. And I, I don't shy away from using the title priest. I am one. But I love the word pastor. Because it is not just a title, it's a job description. One that is laid out in no uncertain terms. Strengthen the weak. Heal the sick. Bind up the injured. Bring in those who are strayed. Find the lost. Lead with love. Feed them. Lead them to places of peace, of shalom. Fight off the wolves and lay down your life for them. Friends, there are no foolproof techniques or formulas to execute or implement that. There's only humility, love, and wisdom. And, and even as I say this, 
I simultaneously feel the tremendous gravity and severity of pastoral ministry, and in the same moment, the complete joy and release of all burdens. Because, thank God, even if I am a shepherd, the I am is my good shepherd. I am lays his life down, not just for me, but for all the other sheep that I love. He finds his way in the gullies that are far too steep for me to venture into. He finds lost sheep that I never could have seen. His staff staves off wolves that certainly would have devoured. So Church of the Cross, when we're listening to this text, as you're in a season that your shepherd is changing, I want you to know three things, at least three things. First, There is no such thing as an interim good shepherd. You might be in a human transition, but you're not in a transition of the one who ultimately cares for you. There is no storm, no matter how many thieves jump over the walls or wolves slink in at night. Jesus is there to lay his life down for you. He is the one who is going to guide and protect and know you. He is there to call you by your name and lead you. Even when you walk through valleys of the shadow of death, his rod and his staff will comfort you. You will never be without a shepherd because Jesus will never leave you or forsake your flocks. Second, in this season where your leadership has changed and will soon change again, know that you are not alone. You have a bishop who would literally fight a lion for you. He will stay up all night praying for you, and I know that because he has done so for me. And he will do whatever he can to love you as you deserve to be loved. And I I will try to do the same. Someday, the Lord is going to bring to this church the leader, the pastor, that will be with you for the next season of your growth. But until that day, I will be here to love you, and lay my life down for you as best as the good shepherd enabled me to do. I am only here for a season, but you are not getting half of me or half my energy or half of my heart. Until the day your new shepherd comes, I am giving this church all that I have. I am here to stand in the breach with you, wherever and whenever you need me to. You are not without a shepherd. You will never be. And third, whenever there's change, um, whenever there's a change of leadership, the thief wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Whenever there is a change, there is a cacophony of voices asking us to listen to them. Voices that want us to follow them, be fed by them, to be formed by them. In Church of the Cross, we're a church that is not only in the midst of a pastor change, midst of transition, we're also a church in the middle of a global pandemic that is causing everyone anxiety. And there are so many voices, conflicting voices. And each of us as sheep in this fold need to ask ourselves which voices we are letting into our hearts, into our minds, into this sheepfold, into this church. Are they voices that breed bitterness, self-righteousness, anxiety, division, fear, Because if they do, they are thieves. They steal, kill, and destroy. Listen instead for the voice of our good shepherd. His words do not sow discord. 
they sow unity. His voice does not lead us to dry places, places of death. He leads us to life and life abundant. And in your own hearts and in your conversations around your dinner table, in your triad groups, in your neighborhood groups, in all places, let the Spirit of Christ, our Good Shepherd, guard us and protect us against that falsehood. Falsehood that brings division and divisiveness, grudges which threaten to steal, kill, and destroy. Know the voice of your Good Shepherd, because He is the one who lays His life down for you. As crazy as everything feels right now, you can rest in that knowledge, knowing that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. He will go before you and be beside you in all things. Almighty God, it is such a joy in knowing the way that you have woven together the story of Israel. That, Lord, this messianic king that we were waiting for from David and your promise to be our good shepherd are woven together into the person of Jesus, our good shepherd, who is word made flesh and near to us, and yet, Lord, is good, ultimately good as only you can be. And so, Lord Jesus, in this season, let us listen to your voice. Let's hear and know you, even as you know us. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.